um, that we can say that what we see of God, what we know of God, is true of the whole of God. So that, uh, you see, uh, I suppose when it comes down to practical questions, um, I mean, is there a possibility that God might change his mind? Uh, you know, that he, he sent his son to save us on the cross and so on. But, um, you know, could we imagine God at some point saying, um, well, I've had enough of that and I'm going to change and do something else. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hey guys, before we start this episode with Dr. Gerald Bray on the topic, the attributes of God, we are double dipping. So we're doing primarily 95% Spark Note Seminary, but we also have a book giveaway courtesy of Crossway Publishers on this topic, the book, The Attributes of God in the short series of Systematic Theology series. So listen to this episode all the way to the end. You guys will find out how you can win your own copy of this book. And just a little bit of a reminder, too, in this episode, Dr. Bray's voice is a little light. And so you guys want to turn up the volume for Dr. Bray's episode, but don't keep the volume high because ours are not low. It's a little blare in your ears. So sorry that you guys have to toggle your volume. It'll just help you out a little bit to hear Dr. Bray's voice and then modulate it for us. So we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Are you in the Orange County or Santa Ana area? We are exploring a church plant, Santa Ana Reformed, with the oversight and accountability of Oceanside URC and Reverend Danny Hyde. If you are interested or you know someone who might be interested in the area, please check out our show notes for a link to sign up for updates. Our Twitter or Instagram at guiltgracepod or Santa Ana URC for the same signup link or simply email us at santaannareformed at gmail.com. We begin meetings on October 28th at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. Now on with the episode. Hello, everyone, and yet it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. We are a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters, and if also you're looking for a Reformed church near you, please check out our show notes to find more information. So today's episode is a dual uh, episode of Spark Notes and Book Club, and it's going to be on the Attributes of God, an introduction, book by published by Crossway, and it's by Dr. Gerald Bray. And Peter, please further introduce Dr. Bray. Yeah, happily. So Dr. Gerald Bray is the research professor of Beeson Divinity School and director of research for the Latimer Trust. He's a prolific author, has authored or edited numerous books, including Doctrine of God, Biblical Interpretation, God is Love, God Has Spoken, many, many, many more. But especially this one, both the book, The Attributes of God, like Nick said, published by Crossway, but also just understanding and, and breaking down who God is and how we can understand him in relation to us creatures. So thank you for coming on, Dr. Bray. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Yeah, this book was uh, really helpful to read through. Both Peter and I read it, and um, it's part of the Short Studies in Systematic Theology series from Crossway. Uh, just to kind of learn more, 
to start this off, what's the background and story behind why you wrote this book for Crossway? Well, I suppose the simple answer is that I was asked to do it. Um, <laughs> nice. I mean, Crossway is doing a series uh, of different uh, aspects of Christian doctrine. Um, and they, they sent the list to me. And by the time it reached me, most of the things that I would have wanted to write about had been taken up by other people. Uh. Um, but this one uh, was free. And I'd always wanted to write something about the attributes of God because um, I felt that uh, this was an area of Christian theology that hadn't been um, properly studied. Mm, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I got onto it, and and uh, and they accepted, and that's that was the uh, the genesis of the book. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, simple enough. I mean, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's it's great because there's there's big books, and I've I, I've seen a couple comments. Um, both by some people who reviewed the book, but it, it's kind of a, it's a smaller and more digestible version of Charnock's Attributes of God, which I think was really helpful for people to kind of get into this on the front end versus reading a thousand page book on the Attributes of God. Well, yes, that's, that's certainly true. Um, of course, Stephen Charnock was writing in the 17th century. Yeah. And people <laughs> have much else to do except, <laughs> except write lots of books. Yeah. Well, they did, and uh, you know that that era is, is famous for this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but people just won't read that now. No, that's much right. too long, and I think a hundred I think it's one hundred and forty-seven pages of actual content. That's just enough to get people introduced, but also short enough where people are like, "I can read one hundred fifty pages." Yes, I think that's right, and also. Uh, given the nature of the subject, most people tend to be interested in one attribute or another. Mm, yeah. Uh, mm. And then they can go on from there and, and explore that more, uh, you know, more in depth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the purpose of the book, really. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, it's the title is very self-explanatory, the attribute. So it's really... Uh, the depth, I mean, you could, uh, it's pretty easy to understand. You could go well past 150 pages uh, to talk about the infinite depth of our heavenly father and creator. Uh, but to the, the today's culture with our short attention spans, it was really good to get, you know, a really quick snapshot. And so uh, you do describe the essential attributes such as omnipresence, omnipotence, uh, on omniscience, as well as the relational attributes such as holiness, righteousness, and goodness. So can you please define both the essential and the relational attributes as it relates to God and why they're distinguished in Orthodox Christianity? Uh, well, uh, yes. Um, I mean, I suppose it, it's a difficult question to answer in a simple way because yeah. Uh, yeah. the distinction that I have made in the book is actually not one that is found um, generally in uh, in theological writing. Yeah. Or perhaps I should put it in a different way. Um, a distinction will be found, but it will be expressed in different categories, mm -hmm. uh, different ways, like communicable versus incommunicable attributes or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I've chosen to do, do it in this way uh, because I wanted to tie the attributes of God um, to our doctrine of God, uh, which makes this distinction um, in the sense that 
uh, we talk about God, uh, what God is, what, you know, God is a being um, in himself, the oneness of God, um, and God as three persons, which is God as a relational being. Mm -hmm. um, and so really, you could say it is the, the, the attributes of God's persons uh, and the attributes of God's uh, being or nature um, is really the distinction that I'm making. Mm -hmm. um, and I've done it in this way um, in order to tie it into uh, to wider theology. Yeah, and you you kind of distinguish between, um, if I'm right, between your approach and a couple of different approaches to this as well. But I thought this is a helpful approach to understand who God is in himself and who God is in relation to humans. Yeah. I thought it was an approachable and understandable way of describing that. Yes, well, that's right. And um, I mean, the, the, there is an important difference because, uh, for example, we say that God is invisible. Well, God is always invisible. Hmm. Uh, you know, regardless. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, that's not going to change. And also, when we talk about becoming like God or being like God or having a relationship with God, it doesn't involve his invisibility. I mean, we don't have to mm. become visible in order to be like God. Um, you know, and, and God doesn't expect that of us um, you know, to, to become infinite uh, when we are finite creatures. Um, but on the other hand, uh, you know, the Bible tells us that we should be holy even as he is holy. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's a connection. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's some kind of, of relationship, uh, which is expressed through this term holiness. Um, but then, of course, you can go on from there and say, well, um, if, you, if you subtract creation, if you take that away and just look at God in himself, um, mm -hmm. the question arises, is God holy in himself? Mm -hmm. And while God wouldn't change, of course, be, be the same as he always is, um, to describe him in terms of holiness, righteousness, and goodness um, really doesn't mean anything because there's nothing to compare him with. Mm. Um, you know, you can only be holy in relation to something that isn't holy. You can only be good in relation to something that isn't good. Um, and if you're the only thing that is, um, which, of course, God is apart from his creation, um, then these these terms don't really apply. Uh, it's only as God establishes relationships um, uh, with with His creatures um, that these words have a meaning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a helpful distinction. I think yeah. that's the... you know, I could put it in, in a simpler way, if you like, that God is always God, but He's not always Lord, because mm. He's only Lord if He has something to be Lord of. Mm. You know, yeah. Lord, okay. Lord is a relational term, um, uh, and so without the creation, without without his activity, the word Lord wouldn't apply. Mm. It obviously does in our relationship to him. You can't yeah. not have it. Um, but you know, in, in itself, uh, it, it's purely relational, not not essential. Mm. That makes sense. It's it's very deep, obviously, and that's what's awesome about the book is you can take your time reading it and then rereading that sentence and then having it soak <laughs> in. I, yeah. I personally like to highlight <laughs> like crazy and take notes, so this is something I, I, I marked up the book quite a bit highlighting because there's a lot of stuff as me 
that I heard really for the first time. And I'm like, I like deep conversations like this. And I, as my Roman Catholic and dispensationalist kind of broad evangelical background, I never really got the resources of having this explained to me the way you did. Um, so I really appreciate it. And I mean, it's kind of related to that, something that I think you, you pretty much brought up and I'm kind of paraphrasing, putting my own words. So catch me if I, if I misuse the meaning, but it's kind of like Jesus as the son has always existed. Right. Um, but he wasn't really revealed to us on earth as part of the Trinity until he was born. I mean, before he was born, we knew a coming Messiah was coming. Um, but I think it like, God didn't work in a vacuum revealing himself to us on earth. Uh, he kind of has worked through time and he's, he's revealed Christ to us at a certain time. And then we're like kind of introduced to the, the, the Trinity that way and the Holy spirit, you know, in charge of the church age today as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so, uh, you know, in, in our understanding of God, we have to take those things into account. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> actually kind of based on that, you know, there are some of these attributes of God that are really widely misunderstood in wider evangelicalism, um, even outside the church in society today. How do these misunderstandings affect our understanding of God? Well, I think they, they affect our understanding of God because um, they, they lead us to diminish God. Um, mm -hmm. to make God something less than what he truly is. Um, for instance, uh, I mean, one of the, the, the things which is listed as an attribute of God is the concept of wrath, uh, the wrath of God. But you see, if wrath were an attribute of God, uh, part of his being, well, then, of course, he would be angry all the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> that would be... That's true. He'd be a wrathful God. Yeah, that's right. Uh like like he's invisible all the time you know something mm -hmm. like this whereas um i mean that's not true of course you see that the wrath of god is actually an expression um mm. of god's love mm. um uh, for us you see and and um uh, it, it is his, his his action his working out uh, of who he is and um of how he relates to us mm. and it, it appears to us as wrath Mm -hmm. not because of something which is, exists in him, but of something which exists in us, which mm -hmm. is sin. Um, uh, you know, and of course, God cannot uh, re react or relate to sin in any other way. Mm -hmm. um, but he doesn't himself change. Um, mm -hmm. And I think this is, uh, th this is part of the problem, because, you see, when people start thinking like that, then they say, well, uh, of course... God isn't a God of wrath, that's a terrible thing to say about God. God is a God of love. But then the next conclusion they tend to draw is that means he accepts whatever we, we, we do. He's yeah. really accepting God, um, uh, you know, and sin doesn't really bother him or, 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 or sin is our way of looking at certain things. Um, but it's not God's, uh, you know, God's way. Um, mm. And so you end up with a, with a kind of God who tolerates anything and everybody um, and has no sort of, there's no judgment at all. Um, and, you know, that's where, the, that's where you end up. And that's, 
very often where a lot of people are today. Um, mm. You know, uh, they interpret the love of God as a medium acceptance of whatever they think, say, and do, um, mm. whether it conforms to the deal or not. Mm. Yeah, so you, what you're saying is part of the misconception or misunderstanding could be taking one of these relational attributes, like you said, with wrath, and making this an essential, or yeah, well, his right. interactions with humans making that essential to who God is. Yes, and then and then rejecting that uh, because you say, well, it, God can't be like that, uh, and so you replace it with something else, um, which then uh, distorts the way He relates to us. Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, as a as a father. Um, personally, I have a son, so it's like, if he's disbehaving, I'm gonna have to do discipline or tell him not to do something. Like, I think it'd be less loving to let him just do whatever he wants. And I think in today's society, we especially need to be reminded of what you just explained about God, our creator, because everyone is thinking like, oh, if you don't let me do what I want, you're not being loving, which is so opposite. <laughs> Well, that's right, and that's uh, you know that that that's the problem, and mm -hmm. I think it's because the attributes of God have not been properly thought through. Um, yeah. To throw these things around. Um, yeah, they've been domesticated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We see too much of our like we, in in an effort to find similarities around us, we've lifted the similarities around us into our concept of God versus taking our understanding of God and seeing how that relates to us. Right. Mm. When you, you do defined, uh, you do defined how he's eternal and then you define how there's infinity as well as how, how it relates to God and humans. Can you kind of like distinguish and define those two terms? Yeah. I thought this is an interesting uh, yeah. difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that basically eternity relates to time, and infinity relates to space. Mm. Um, you know, and of course, time and space go together, obviously. Um, you know, within the uh, created order, but it's a different aspect of it. And uh, it's, I suppose, particularly interesting. Um, the distinction would not be evident in God, uh, because God is both eternal and infinite. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's a distinction which is meaningful in creatures because uh, not only human beings, but also angels um, are, uh, are eternal uh, in, in one way, but they're not infinite. Hmm. So um, yeah, they had a creative beginning. Yeah, and they had a creative beginning. So, hmm. um, you know, there, there is a distinction. Now, how you make that distinction and how, uh, how that is going to work I mean, how, what it basically mean, if I put it like this, um, what are we going to be like in heaven? Um, mm -hmm. you know, we, will, we will share the eternal life of God. Yeah. But we won't share his infinity because hmm. we can't. I mean, if we, if we became infinite, we'd be absorbed into God. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and of course, that is the, the, the sort of thing that you get in Buddhism or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of disappearing into the infinite. Um, yeah, uh, but you lose your identity that way. Um, yeah, that's not that's not Christian teaching. Yeah, I think you you say it in your book. You define it, I think, pretty well as well. That 
eternity is the created beginning but having no end yeah. and then infinity is no beginning and no end and so that's right. that's I, th- I thought that was a really really helpful right. description of two i think highly philosophical concepts but really grounding it for understanding of heaven and god hmm. well thank you um so with these kind of this stuff in the background uh so one of the questions that i I came into this book and was helpfully answered as well and just kind of in general understanding god's attributes uh with this so why why do we why do we need to understand the various attributes of god and and how do we properly understand of uh understand god not as made up kind of like we would build lego bricks or lego blocks up to a certain thing but it's simple and not made of parts. So you, I, yeah. I think you define that pretty well. So can you, can you explain that, that God's not made of parts, but is himself who he is? Right. I mean, God is God, and, and, and uh, there's no sort of variation in him, or, you know, there's no, there's no, you can't sort of define God in some way and say, well, this part of God is weaker than this other part, or, you know, something like that. Uh, as if he was like a mattress on a bed, you know, which had sort of weak spots and strong spots and something yeah, like that. Yeah. It's all the same everywhere um, uh, with God. And uh, the word simple, of course, is difficult um, because it, it has many meanings in English and uh, we have to be careful here. Um, I think the, the best way to understand it, in fact, probably the only way we can really understand it today, um, is by, by taking its, its meaning in something like chemistry. Um, uh, if you look at chemistry, uh, the, you know, take water, for example, um, hydrogen and oxygen are elements, they're simple, um, mm-hmm. but water is a compound uh, of those two. And, um, and God is not a compound. Uh, he's not a mixture. Um, he can't be analyzed or, or broken down into his, in, into his parts, uh, into his constituent elements. Um, mm-hmm. Because, of course, if he could, he wouldn't be the supreme being. He wouldn't be the ultimate thing. Um, there'd be something behind him which has gone into making him what he is. Um, so uh, we have to say that, uh, you know, that God is pure being, if you like. I mean, there's no, um, uh, there's no element of compoundness in him. It's like he's the original, original, original source, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And uh, also um, kind of like relating to that and the previous question, I was just kind of thinking, I was jotting this down, is that he, is it good to think of like time and space is part of his creation because he lives outside of time and space? So he, um, we're, we're kind of going back to that eternity, infinity question in a little bit, so I apologize, but is that a good way to kind of think of him is that he has uh, he, you can kind of understand him better if you kind of separate him from time and space. Cause he created it in the first place. Yeah. Well, that's right. You see, and, and uh, we've got to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. time and space do not apply to him. Mm-hmm. The trouble is of course, that we as, as human beings are created within time and space with a mental capacity, uh, mm. you know, which is governed by that. Um, time and space are fundamental concepts for us uh, in order to relate to the world in which we live. And, and although we're capable of thinking beyond that, uh, you know, we can 
because otherwise, of course, uh, we wouldn't know what time and space were. I mean, if mm. we if we couldn't uh, isolate them and define them in some way, um, uh, you know, uh, we we'd, we'd be just totally absorbed in them, um, as animals are. Yeah. Uh, I mm. mean, animals don't are not aware of living in time and space, yeah. whereas we are. Um, I often use uh, an analogy here um, uh, of of time. We think of time. Um, we think of it in terms of past, present, and future. Um, but in actual fact, of course, there is no present uh, in time uh, because uh, the minute you say now, it's past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just something <laughs> yeah. that goes on. Um, and yet we all of us live in the present. Uh, I mean, I use the present, as so, and so do you, um, a, a, as a mm -hmm. reference point uh, for knowing what time is. Um, you know, that we can distinguish between past and future, um, and we do so by the present. And, uh, of course, it's no accident that the present is used in the Bible um, to explain eternity, uh, because it's not a time concept. Um, and uh, not only does God express himself in this way, you know, when he says to Moses at the burning bush, um, you know, I am... Uh, uh, that am and go to the people of Israel and say to them, I am has sent me to you. Um, but you find also in, in the book of Revelation, for example, when John has the vision, um, you know, of Christ seated on the throne. Um, and how is he described? He's described as the one who is, and then as the one who was, and the one who is to come. Mm -hmm. So past and future are, are, are contained within the present. The present comes first. Uh, you know, which is not the order we would normally think of using. Um, yeah. but, but it's because, uh, you know, in God, God is eternally present and we are eternally present with him. Um, that mm. our, our consciousness of, of living in the present is a sign that we are not bound by time and space in our thinking. Hmm. We are in, we are in our, our living, of course. You can't get out of time. Um, yeah. But uh, but we remain judges of time. Yeah. So with kind of related to your before we get into the last question, and you you touched on the negative aspect of misunderstanding God's simplicity. So His not being made up of His action. What what's what's kind of the positive? How how can we understand God as it relates to His simplicity, and how does that? help us understand who he is in relation oh, to I us. I think it's very important because it means that there's, there's, there's no hidden part of God that is going to be different um, from what you see and know. Um, that when you meet with God, of course, we have to say we don't meet with the whole of God. There's no way we're ever mm -hmm. going to, to understand you know, the, infinite, the infinity of God. Um, but we can say that what we see of God, what we know of God, is true of the whole of God. So that, uh, you see, uh, I suppose when it comes down to practical questions, um, I mean, is there a possibility that God might change his mind? Uh, you know, that he, he, he sent his son to save us on the cross and so on. But, um, you know, could we imagine God at some point saying, um, well, I've had enough of that and I'm going to change and do something else? Um, yeah. The answer is no, <laughs> because because of his simplicity. Um, yeah. You know, because he's always what he is, and mm. um, and this is why, for example, 
um, you know, we, we say that God is impassable, he cannot suffer, um, because suffering could not affect just part of him. Uh, mm. have to affect the whole of him. Yeah. And if it affected the whole of him, um, then he would be weakened. Um, mm. uh, you know, it's, it's not it's not something that he can um, sort of, uh, what's the word, fence off and, and just say, well, you know, that's one aspect of God, but it's not the whole story. Um, uh, with, with God, whatever we say um, has implications for everything. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Um, and then related to this a little bit, understanding, so the end of your book, you have an appendix in your last chapter, talk about the church fathers, kind of the, the historical understanding of, yeah. of the doctrine of God. So you have, you have a great chapter on this and an appendix. So what, why is it so critical to learn from our forefathers in the faith versus just doing this theology and understanding who God is by ourselves, kind of in our own time to the exclusion of previous thought? Right. Well, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the appendix. Um, in my original version of the book, um, what is now the appendix was the first chapter. Ah. It was the introduction. Um, and, and the reason it was the introduction was to, simply to say that um, we need to understand how God has been understood. Mm. Uh, you know, and um, in ancient times, uh, when people talk about God, and, and you see this in the creeds, for example, um, you know, or in, in, in the doctrine of Christ, fully God and fully man, when we use these terms today, we think primarily in terms of a person. Mm -hmm. If we say that, you know, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, the words God and man are personal to us. Yeah. We, we think like that. Whereas in the early church, they didn't. They thought in terms of, of substance or yeah. essence. So that it would be better to translate, he was fully divine and fully human. Hmm. You want the modern uh, way of thinking. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, as time goes on, of course, we realize that uh, that, that way of thinking, uh, which was very common in, in the Greek, uh, ancient Greek philosophy, and of course in the the, the pagan world to which the Christian church had to evangelize, um, that part of the evangelizing process, part of the, um, the adoption of Christianity, is a move away from that way of thinking to thinking of God in personal terms, in terms of personal relationship, which is, of course, the way the Bible presents it. Um, the Bible never denies, uh, for example, that God is invisible. I mean, you know, the, the, the uh, prohibitions on idolatry are clear enough in that way. Um, but that's not where the concentration is. Uh, the concentration is on revelation, that God is a, a, is a personal being who reveals himself to, to other persons. And um, it is the fact that we, you and I are persons, um, you know, created in the image and likeness of God, um, that makes this possible. Um, that we can have a relationship with him um, in a way that, say, a dog or a cat cannot. Mm -hmm. um, and this is actually quite a, a, a important um, because, uh, you know, if you how do you define the word person? If you say, well, person is an individual. Well, a dog is an individual, um, you know, and you can have a name and people, people sort of pretend that they relate to their animals. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, and what have you. I mean, all right, that's, you know, that's a certain level. Um, yeah. But that is not the same thing as a personal relationship with God. Yeah. Um, and, and we need to, to insist on this, I think, um, mm. uh, you know, nowadays, because people are confused about this kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on that, because that's what I think really defines and gives the truth of who God is through Christianity versus maybe other religions that like we have one God, but um, in his divinity, but he needs to be the Trinity to be a relational God. Uh, he, he, he knows how to be a relational God because he always was with the other persons in the Trinity. And that's how he's a relational God with us. Right. That's right. And that's a very important point. You see, and this is why, um, for example, um, love um, is, a, is intrinsic to God um, because the nature of the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy mm-hmm. Spirit is one of perfect love. Yeah. And God's love for us is an extension of that. Um, you know, we, we, uh, and here again, we need to uh, think about this because uh, when we talk about the atonement, for example, the death of Christ on the cross, inevitably we we concentrate on ourselves. We say, well, um, you know, God sent his son into the world in order to save us out of his love for us uh, and so on, which of course is true. I mean, I'm not denying that in any way. Yeah. Um, But but the sacrifice of Christ is primarily a sacrifice to the Father. It is doing the will of the Father. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, it is within that context of, of love, um, the love of the Father, of the Son for the Father, that he fulfills the Father's will in paying the price for your sin and my sin. So uh, we are integrated into the love of God um, uh, in, in that way. And of course, uh, this is something which is intrinsic to the, uh, to the whole being of God. Uh, and we wouldn't be able to, to share in that relationship or share in his love um, if he were not relational in himself. Um, and indeed, this is the, the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us to, um, uh, to join in this, this fellowship um, yeah. of the divine. Um, you know, and why we, I, I mean, I kind of simplify it in a way. Um, by saying that the Holy Spirit is our contact point with God, mm-hmm. because He's the one who brings the, the Father and the Son and their mutual relationship to us. Galatians four six, you know, when Paul says, "Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father." Yeah. Um, uh, you know that this is the the, the context um, in which our life uh, is realized. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's that's a uh, it's helpful. I mean, I think the the book is a very, very, very helpful introduction. Very, very readable. Um, not just for theologians or academics or seminarians, but I think for just regular people in the pew, sitting, listening to sermons who want to have a better, clear, full understanding of who God is, so they can worship Him in truer understanding of who He is and Himself. Right. It was yeah. It's, so I mean. I, I loved having you on. I, I love talking about this stuff and, and breaking these things down because it's 
it's it's not talked about nearly as much as I think as it should be or understood to the extent that I think it should be as well. And I think this book and hopefully this conversation goes further to help that out. Thank you very much. That's my hope too. I, 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 I want to bring this very important area of theology back into uh, the conversation, back into discussion. And if my little book can, can help along those lines, then so much the better. Yeah. So thank you for coming on, Dr. Bray. It's been, it's been a pleasure, and I hope people uh, read this book and, and it helps them understand the, the God of the Bible to a greater degree to worship him in spirit and truth. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation we had with Dr. Gerald Bray as much as we enjoyed interviewing him on the topic, The Attributes of God. And he also wrote a book on this very topic as well. Yeah, so we uh, partnered with Crossway like we have on a couple of their books and uh, some future books on this. And so we have another giveaway. So I know we're, we're kind of double dipping. We're doing both a SparkNote seminar introducing you guys to this topic, but we're also, we got a book giveaway. So Nick, what can they do to win a copy of this book? Yeah, I think the easiest way would, when we post it on Twitter, to retweet it, uh, quote retweet, whatever that's called, <laughs> just to yeah. get, our, get our attention. Um, we still love reviews as long oh, yeah. as you leave a comment. And um, But I feel like to show also a lot of love, because this isn't about us. This no. isn't about Peter or me. This is about the, you know, obviously, ultimately God, but also... Um, helping the publisher out and the author yep. out. So Twitter seems to get the best traction with reposting it and retweeting it or whatever. Um, so that would probably be choice A. Yeah, yeah. So if you guys want to do that, it just pushes it further out. So retweet it, like mm -hmm. it, comment on it, and just say something that you liked about the interview or like, like that you want to learn more to dive deeper in the book. Um, review us and rate us on on iTunes or when any one of your podcast catchers, those will link to iTunes as well. Yep. So again, this is one of those rare occurrences where we double dip. It yeah. was a SparkNotes seminary episode on our typical Monday doctrinal SparkNotes seminaries, but it's also a book club episode technically too. So not to confuse the audience too much. They're <laughs> yeah. like, Man, you guys are just doing a lot of books lately. We but. just love giving away books. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, we only do it because our great friends at Crossway and our other publisher friends, we have so many, they really help us out with this. Um, so yeah. this is how yeah, we show them love and this, this retweeting kind of shows them that love of, of them helping us out and helping you guys out um, get your hands on some of this book. So Find the uh, find the episode and, and the length of the episode on our Twitter, on our Instagram. Retweet that, repost it, get our attention, get the published attentions. They might even retweet you if you if you have something cool to say about it. Um, but we hope you guys enjoy this episode. Yeah, and one more plug. Uh, keep it short and sweet here. Uh, this this book is part of a larger series by Crossway. Yep, it's a it's an incredible series, and it's super easy to get through each book they're yeah. they're under 150 maybe a little more than 150 yeah. pages yeah. but um yeah uh there's multiple there's about there's uh, five right now yep they have 15 slated so they got a lot more yeah. yeah so we'll be doing more on that series uh yeah, we just agreed to do all their series so yeah you guys have more to look forward to yep cool so we'll see you guys next monday <laughs>